So today we're going to be starting a new series, and we do this um, once a year, and it's about uh, dating and marriage and sex and all that kind of good stuff. And here's what's kind of crazy, is this last week, I, uh, Amy and I, and if you don't know, my wife's name is Amy, she was the singer right here, and she, uh, she and I got to go out of town for the week because it was her 30th birthday, and, uh, and it was really fun because we got to go to New York, a place that we had never been before, and we, we have always wanted to go, and so we dropped the kids off at my parents' house, and they watched them the whole week, and we got to go and just uh, pretty much eat everything that they had available in New York. And so I think I did tens of thousands of calories every day while I was there. Uh, yeah, it was great. But here, it was kind of interesting, is I forget sometimes um, what the rest of the world looks like. I sometimes get stuck in my own bubble. And so when we, were, when we were checking into our hotel, there was these two ladies who I would assume are probably in their late 20s, early 30s is my guess. And we started to talk to them, and we were telling them why we were there and why we were visiting, and it was her 30th birthday, and like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And, and then they started to ask us more questions about ourselves, and, and we started to share, well, we're, we're married, and they were kind of like, oh, wow, that's crazy, you guys are so young. You know, I'm like, okay, well, guess what? We have been married for, oh, this will be nine years this year, and we've been together for 12 years, which is crazy, yeah. Yeah, we're old, I know, we're old. And we began to tell them, yeah, we have kids, and we left the kids at home. And they were just shocked. They could not believe it. They were like, what kind of, are you guys Amish? I'm pretty sure you're Amish. You know, who is 30 years old? Uh, I'm 32, Amy's 30, and you guys have been married for this long, and you have kids. It's just, it's a, it was so foreign to them, because it's not even on their radar that they want to get married one day. Or, or maybe if they do, it's way, 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 way after they've had fun, and after they've got to live it up in the city, and all that kind of stuff. And and I, I thought about, um, one, the place that I am in life, and I now, I've been talking about what the Bible says about sex and dating for a long time, but I now get to bring an interesting perspective to it because I, I guess I've been married for a while now, and we've been together for a long time, and, and, uh, and so I get to bring a lot of life experience as well, and also being in the family that I grew up in and getting to witness a great marriage in my parents, I kind of, uh, I kind of have had a, a good model of what it looks like, and so here's what I want to do, is today I want to just talk very practically about um, preparing for marriage, and so most of you guys are single. So preparing for marriage, even if it's not even on your radar and there's not any perspective, uh, perspective uh, spouses, this is the time to start thinking about marriage. And then there's another group of you in here that are newlyweds, and I want to tell you how to stay married, okay? And so we're going to talk about kind of some really six principles that I have, and I have been talking about these for a long time, and so if you've been around for a while, you know these six principles or six kind of, uh, uh, piece of pieces of advice that I have for you. So let's jump into it is uh, there's six different things that I think either you, if you want to be married one day, you need to do to prep for it, or if you are married, you're a little bit behind, but that's okay, that you need to do to stay married. And so here they are. First one is this, and I'll unpack these. First one is this, is get out of debt. Number two, stay out of bed. Number three, clean out your closet. Four, create a list. Five, seek wise counsel. And six, lower your expectations. Okay, so we'll get to those, all right? So we will get to... <laughs> Some of you guys are like, amen on the last one. There's hope for me yet. Here we go. Just wait. We'll get there. So let me unpack these a little bit. Let's start with the first one. So the first one, get out of debt. And um, this is kind of complicated, so let me help you kind of understand exactly what I'm trying to say is when I say get out of debt, what I mean is don't have any debt. Okay, good. Next point. Here we go. 
No, 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 no. But for real, let's unpack this a little bit. Is sometimes when we think about love and we see these movies and they're talking about falling in love, they never talk about uh, consumer debt when they're discussing marriage. Or um, there is someone in this room, and I will not name them, but they check the credit score of their potential spouse before they would agree to get married to them. All right? And um, I love that. I think, yes, fiscal responsibility. Amen. You know, that is so, so fantastic. And here's, here's really what I'm referencing, is if you don't know, there is this thing called consumer debt, and consumer debt is things like uh, credit cards, school loans, car loans, things like that, in which um, I would consider bad debt. And all of us, most of us, have, are dragging around some kind of consumer debt. And it's kind of like uh, this this weight that we have to carry around, and it's like baggage. And I want to give you a couple reasons why now is the time for you to get out of debt, to be debt-free. One reason is because, and you may not believe me, but it's not going to get any easier. In fact, this is the point in your life when it's going to be the easiest for you to get out of debt. And now you might be thinking, wait, 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 hold on. It's going to get easier because once I get married one day, we will have two incomes. And when we have two incomes, that means I'm going to have a lot more money, and so I can get out of debt, and I'll be able to spend a lot more. Um, That's not how this works. I have found out that is not how this works at all. Is once you get married, what's going to happen is you are going to have your bad habits, financial bad habits, that you're going to bring into the marriage, and now your bad habits are now the problem of someone else as well. Because the habits that you have are not like changed now that you're making twice the income or or that you have two incomes coming in. You're just going to bring in all this extra baggage that you have to introduce into your relationship. And so people who are thinking about this and are responsible, they may look at you as a prospective spouse or someone that they may want to date, and they'll say, okay, yeah, they're cute, and oh, they drive that BMW, and then they realize, how much is that BMW payment? Ooh, you just went from an eight to a six, because like, hey, that's a lot of money every month, you know, and I don't want to be tied down by your baggage. Or the guys, you look at the girl and you think, ooh, they're put together, they dress well, and then you realize the credit card debt they have in order to dress like that, and you say, I want a thrift shop looking kind of girl, because those ones are a lot cheaper, all right? And I don't have to inherit all of their debt. And so what happens is, People, at least people who are smart, they start to look at the whole picture and they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I'm not sure if we can date, at least not right now, because I don't want to have to take all of that baggage, that financial baggage that you are going to bring with you. But the good news is, is that uh, you can decide here and now at a young age. I mean, we're all in this room. We are young. We have a long life ahead of us, but we can decide now, instead of racking up debt, whatever debt that we have, we can get out of it. And we don't have to drag it into our relationship, whatever relationship we may have in the future, or if we're dating someone now, we can eliminate it before it comes a real issue, or at the beginning of our marriage, we don't have to go through the years of, you know, finance is the number one thing that breaks up marriages, is finances, is is usually it's debt, and they're wrestling with debt, and it brings stress into the relationship, and can you imagine entering into a marriage, or at least at the beginning stages of a marriage, without having any debt? without having that extra stress, to have that kind of freedom. There's a small small percentage of us who, in our minds, are kind of coming up with arguments about why this is a bad idea, because we don't want to have to deal with it. And we think, well, you know, true love, if they really love me, 
they're going to deal with my debt, right? They're just going to embrace me. They're going to take the debt, and they're going to they're going to they're going to be okay with it. But here's the thing: is there is no such thing as marriage problems. Right, so marriage problems are problems like um, you used a toothpaste but you didn't close the cap. That's a marriage problem. What there is is there's two people who get married who have problems, and if you come in with the marriage with this extra problem, the, the extra stress that you're putting on the relationship is your fault. Something that you could have avoided, a stressor on the relationship that you could have dealt with but decided not to. The other is, and this isn't just for. I think this is just good advice in general is um, you won't have to be a slave to debt any longer. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. See, when we enter into consumer debt like this, what we're really doing is we're handing over the freedom of our life to somebody. We're entering into, willingly entering into a relationship with either a person or a company that now we have to be accountable to. That we are saying, I want, to be, I want you to look over my finances. I want you to look at my bank account. I want you to tell me if I can go on vacation or not, and if I get to go out on date night or not. See, what we're doing is we're handing over a lot of the freedom of our life to somebody who we now have to be accountable to. And when we, when we either pay off the debts or we avoid debt altogether, it brings an incredible amount of freedom into our lives. It brings freedom in day-to-day stuff, like we can go out on date nights. Amy and I get to go out on date nights uh, either once a week or every other week. Or we get to go on cool vacations like this because we decided to be aggressive with eliminating debt. So it brings freedom into a relationship, but it also brings freedom for those who are not in a relationship to pursue maybe some things that God's calling you to do, that in this stage of your life, you can pack up and you can go and you can do it. Like, think about this. What if you felt this calling where you're like, you know, I think God wants me to go for six weeks on a missions trip. I don't have any debt. I don't have any commitments, really. And so I can pick up and I can go pursue whatever God's calling me to. Or maybe God's calling me into a career in which I'm not going to make a whole lot of money, but I can pursue it because I don't have to make a lot of money because I don't have a bunch of debt that I'm dragging along with me. And so when we are free from debt, we're also free to be able to pursue things uh, that God uh, is p- potentially calling us to. And you never know what opportunities are right around the corner. I've seen so many people who have this calling in their life where they feel like God has gifted them and they've given them an opportunity to pursue something, and yet they can't because they're dragging along this debt and they have to keep making those payments. And so instead of going to, and I even see this on, on short-term missions, like we go to Guatemala and India and things like that for a couple weeks, and so many of us can't go because we are tied down by our debt. And so we miss out on some incredible opportunities and experiences because um, we are just dragging it along. And you might think, how do I get out of debt? It's really not that complicated. One, don't accumulate debt. That's not that hard. The other is pay off your debt. And so if you need any help, there's this book uh, or author, Dave Ramsey, and uh, he has this thing called Financial Peace, and he goes through what it looks like, but it's super basic. It's like, don't spend money you don't have, pay off the stuff that you've already bought, don't be an idiot. Okay, good. Um, I wrote his book right there. All right, number two, stay out of bed. I'm going to spend an entire week, maybe two, we'll see how it goes, on a biblical view of sex and what the scripture says about it. But let me just talk about it uh, for a moment here. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter to all the churches that he has planted in the first century, and, and, uh, and he's giving them advice on how to live as Christians in a very pagan culture. 
And if you don't know anything about paganism, paganism is interesting because uh, within these cultures, they were highly, highly sexualized. Like we think of our culture, um, and I think a perfect representation of this is Las Vegas, highly sexualized. I mean, it is in your face all over the place. But in comparison to first century paganism, that's nothing. Their religion was based on sex, or at least that was a part of how they, uh, how they worshiped. It's kind of a cool religion, but anyway. Um, anyway, uh, I always like, that's not even in my notes. Okay. But here's what's interesting is if you study about paganism, one of the things that men could do, at least, was that they would have slaves, female slaves, and so they could take advantage, have sex with their female slaves, and if they ever got tired of their slaves, they could go down to the pagan temple, and then they could hire a prostitute. And this was all a part of not only the, the culture, but a part of the religious experience. And so sex was all over the place. And so Paul is writing from that perspective. It's not like they're, uh, they're prudes and they're super conservative, and Paul just doesn't understand sex and he doesn't understand our culture. He gets it. In fact, he gets it probably more than we get it. And yet he writes these words that are going to be pretty challenging to many of us. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 18. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be uh, in this for a couple minutes. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. So uh, right off the bat, Paul starts off. He does not have like any qualm. He, doesn't, he just jumps in there. He says, look, don't tiptoe around it. Don't just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, see how it goes, and I'm, we're just going to hang out a little bit, and we're just going to watch Netflix, and like, it's fine, you know? He doesn't say like, see how close you can get to the edge without stepping over it. He says, flee from sexual immorality. That means get the crap out of there, all right? So it's past 1030, the lights are out, you're watching a movie, they cuddle up right next to you. Okay, look, this could go one of two directions. Flee from sexual immorality, all right? Run away. Be like, oh, get away from me, Satan. I don't know. No, no, no. Okay. Flee from sexual immorality. If you're not a church person, um, you would think this is fairly typical. This is what they do at church. They talk about sex and how bad it is and how you can't have it. And no, 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 no. You're actually going to find out that uh, the biblical view of sex is not lower than culture's view of sex. It's actually higher it actually looks at sex and it looks at it as a beautiful gift. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But here's what he says. He says that we have to flee from sexual immorality because, and this is really profound, and he's going to give us insight into sex. It's beyond, I think, anything that culture has to offer as far as their view of sex goes. He says this. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, this is weird, and, and we're going to unpack this more in the coming weeks, but let me just give you a little insight into what Paul's saying here. Is he saying not that sex is like sexual sin is a worse sin than other sins? Like, hey, like there's lying and then there's sex, and sex is way worse than lying. No, 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 no. He's saying that sexual sin is different than other sins. It's not worse, but it's definitely different. And I think we know this to be true, whether you believe this or not, and whether you believe in the Bible or not, I think you know this to be true. Because if you think back to some of your biggest regrets in life, it's almost always sexual. Almost all the big regrets that we have in our life are, are sexual, the ones that we just can't seem to get over. I have counseled and met with and prayed for so many people who are experiencing guilt and regret, and you know what I have never had them say to me before? 
Cody, I just can't get over the speeding ticket. I can't. I know I drove too fast. I know I did. And I'm paying dearly. It's been five years and I just can't get past the fact that I drove too fast. Never once had that happen before. I think 99% of the time it's always, I messed up sexually and I just can't seem to get past it. I'm carrying around all these burdens. I'm carrying around all this guilt and I just can't get past it. And we know this is true. We know it's something that, uh, sex is something that's beyond just the physical. So uh, culture wants to tell us, you know, sex is just an appetite. And so fulfill it. You know, when you're hungry, you go and you eat. When you're tired, you go and you sleep. When you're horny, you, whatever. Okay, you get it. Oh, (laughs) don't be here next week. It's going to get weird next week. So, but here's what Paul is saying is Paul is saying there's something unique about sex that it's far more than just physical. There's another element to it. And that's the reason why when we look at rape and we look at someone getting beat up, rape is far more damaging to the person. Why? They're both just physical acts in which you've been abused, but why is it that the sexual act is far more traumatizing? Because there's something different about sex. There's something more than just physical, it's something more than just a physical thing happening there. Paul understood what I think many of us either have not known or that we have forgotten is that sex is powerful. It is powerful. When it's used in the right context, when it's used in a committed, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman, it is incredibly beautiful and powerful. And I think God created it to be that way. But yet, when it's used in the wrong way, when it's misused, it can be incredibly damaging to us. And so Paul definitely gets it right, I think, when he says that there is something unique about sex, that it is extremely powerful. Then he goes on and he directs his attention to believers. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? He said, Didn't you know that, and this is kind of weird and it's a little bit mystical, but didn't you know that when you became a Christ follower and you gave your life over to Christ, that he somehow entered into you, that the Holy Spirit lives within you. It dwells within you. And so it continues on. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So when someone buys something, they expect that when they purchase it, that they expect something in return. And so when Christ dies for us and we give our lives over to Christ, he then expects something in return from us. That that just makes sense. He purchased us with his blood on the cross. And so in return, he expects something from us. He expects us to no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. And he ends with this, therefore, which is the logical conclusion of if God paid for you, he owns you. Honor God with your bodies. So that's what we're called as Christians. That's kind of the, the sexual standard for Christians. Is, and I love the question, um, how far is too far? I used to get this when I was a junior high and high school pastor. I'd be like, well, how far is too far? And I would get like super weird with it. And like, okay, this is not okay. And like touching here, not okay. <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't do that with you guys. But <laughs> Paul lays it out and he says, Honor, the standard is for our sexual purity is honor God with your bodies. You also talk about honoring God with your minds, but right here he talks about honoring God with your bodies. See, he, he created us. He knows how sex is supposed to work. He understands how fragile it is. It's a delicate thing that can be used in powerful ways. And so he says, you have to be careful with this. It's a very fragile thing. And so something I've been doing for a, a, a number of years now 
is every time we talk about sex and dating, I give a challenge. And it's kind of become um, a part of the culture here at Young Adults is I've given a challenge to try being single for one year. If you have uh, messed up sexually in the past and you're just trying to you know, get your life on track or you've maybe even come out of some traumatic event in your life in which some things have, have, have changed because you've moved or because you've had some family issues or whatever it is, oftentimes that's when we're our weakest. And so we need to step back from any relationships that we have and we need to just give it some space. And so I've been challenging people for years, and I know so many people have done it, and, um, and so many people who say this is one of the best things that they've done, is they've taken a year off of dating. It doesn't matter who comes along and who wants to date, they say, look, if, you, if we're going to date, you can wait until I'm done with this one year. And something crazy happens. Because if you've ever been in a relationship, you know that um, things get foggy. Like your, 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 your mental vision, your, your, your perspective kind of gets a little bit foggy. You know, you kind of fall in love, and you're consumed with them, and they're consumed with you. And, but then when you step back, especially when you throw the physical in there, but when you step back, and you take a year away from dating, and you just say, you know what, the pressure's off. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to date anybody, so I'm not even going to worry about it. When you step back, you start to get some clarity in your life. You start to see things that maybe you didn't see before, especially those of us who um, we have, from a young age, jumped from relationship to relationship to relationship and really can't even think of an extended period of time in our life where we have been single. And you'll start to get perspective and go, oh, some things that were in my life are now emerging because I used to suppress it with relationships, jumping to the next person. But because I don't have that right now, these things are bubbling up inside of me in which I have to start to deal with this stuff. And you're going to start to learn some things about yourself and, and, and about your past and about, um, and about God and about your relationship with God. And just spending that time that you would focus on a relationship, now you get to focus on um, with God. Number three, clean out your closet. By the way, oh, last thing on that one is um, mark today's date. Because if you're going to do it, and I will challenge you, I'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but if you're like, man, that's what I need to do, mark today's date on the calendar and just say, okay, there's no dating until a year from today, and then tell somebody. Tell somebody about it, okay? Because in your mind, you'll be like, I was just, I was like sort of into it, but like I'm over it now, you know? So like, <laughs> it's like not a big deal, <laughs> like whatever. Um, tell somebody. Okay, number three, uh, clean out your closet. Clean out your closet. Uh, and what I mean by this is deal with your crap. All right, so everybody's got some junk that they need to deal with. Um, everybody's got emotional baggage. And I don't know anyone who, when they look at their wedding day one day, you know, whatever that looks like, however far away that is, I have yet to find someone on their wedding day who stands there and looks at the person they love and say, I cannot wait to be so codependent with you. Like, I am going to blame all my daddy issues on you and our kids are going to be a disaster, and we are going to fight, and it's going to end so badly. I do, right? Like, no one ever says that. And yet, I see so many people who stand there, and I'm like, you should say that, because I know it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It is coming. You got daddy issues that you haven't dealt with yet, and it is coming. See, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to um, stand face-to-face -face with the person whom they love, who they want to spend the rest of their life with, and yet are dragging along just like the financial baggage, the emotional baggage into the relationship. And so we have to be intentional about cleaning out our closet. So when you start to think about, you know, maybe I do have a little bit of an anger issue, or there are some insecurities I'm dealing with, or I'm kind of passive-aggressive or, or jealous. See, those things... 
pop their head up in your life. But when you're single, it's really easy to ignore them. Because uh, when your roommate starts to bug you, you know what you could do? Get a new roommate, right? Or, or when your boss starts to bug you, you know what you can do? Get a new boss. Or when your friends start to bug you, you can get new friends. But here's the problem. That pattern only works for so long because when you then enter into a relationship and you get married, this isn't an option anymore. You don't get to run away from your problems. Because what happens is you will be confronted with your problems. In, okay, um, as a person who's been married for almost a decade now, you will have to confront your deepest issues when you get married. Because they will be there and they will know exactly the button to push and then you'll know the button to push back and you'll be like, oh, right? And in those moments, you're either going to have dealt with your stuff and you'll know what to do or that marriage is going to blow up. And that's why so many of our marriages, I think, fall apart today is because nobody, when they're single, wants to deal with their issues. They want to party like a rock star, then get married and live happily ever after and that's not how this works. How this works is, you have to prepare for marriage. All of us have issues. Some of us have deeper issues than others, but whatever it is, it is going to come out in your marriage unless you deal with it. And if you're newly married and you haven't dealt with your stuff, get in there now. Because once you throw kids in the mix, you're, you're done. It's over. <laughs> so I always recommend people get into counseling or into a, a, a small group, a rooted group, get in there and whatever, get in a step study, get in somewhere and start working on this stuff. And again, you're not going to be um, motivated to do it now, especially if you're not even thinking about getting married, but now is the time to do it because you don't want to be five years, 10 years into a marriage and go, wow, I wish I would have dealt with this stuff. Now the circumstances are different and there is a lot at stake and I still haven't dealt with my stuff. Number four, Create a list of non-negotiables. So uh, what I mean by this is come up with what are the things that you are going to look for in a spouse that are non-negotiables. So for me, I had a list of non-negotiables. When I was, uh, I remember, I, did, I think my youth pastor challenged me when I was in high school to do this. And I had a list of non-negotiables. And these aren't like things like, I just, like, I hope she has like really pretty hair, you know, like, like that. Um, no. Straight teeth, though, that might be one. Um, <laughs> kidding. You can fix that now. Uh, veneers. They do magic, man. Who cares? Anyway, okay. Um, list of non-negotiables would be things like this. If you are a Christian, they have to be a Christ follower. And they can't just say, I go to church sometimes, Christmas and Easter, or I grew up in church. I just haven't been in a while. Uh-uh. No, no, no. You are a Christ follower. You are 100% in because I want you to be in like I'm in. Or uh, maybe one of your non-negotiables is they have to either, depending on your age, either be a full-time student or a student in working or a career, but they cannot be at home playing video games all day, okay? That's not marriage material. Tell them to get off their hiney and get a job. Um, they have to have dealt with their baggage. It's okay to have baggage. It's great to admit that you have baggage. Admit it and then, tell it and then make sure that they're working on it. So if they never had a dad growing up or they never had a mom or they came from an abusive household or whatever and they have never dealt with it before, do not get into that relationship until they have thoroughly investigated and dealt with their baggage. Other thing I think is important is, is that you have similar goals in mind. When you look at your careers and family aspirations and, and what kind of life you guys want, make sure that you have the same goals in mind. 
There's no conflict like a couple that says, one says, I want kids, the other one says, I don't want kids. Yikes. Make sure that you have the same future goals in mind, that when you look at where you could be at the end of your life, that you guys, of course, you're not going to have it all figured out, but make sure you're at least on the same page. And of course, I don't have to tell you this, but make sure that they're good looking. Um, no, but seriously, you got to like them, right? They got to be good looking. You got to be like one of your own. Here's how I, this is going to sound so unromantic right now, if that is a word, but is one of the ways that I knew that Amy was the one that I was supposed to marry is because she annoyed me less than everybody else. Like I could hang out with her and like not be like, oh God, I cannot stand this person. She's the one person in all of the universe. Okay, I thought it was fun. All right. Um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Marriage advice for you guys. Uh, here's, what, here's what happens if you don't come up with this list prior to. If you don't come up with a list of non-negotiables, you will settle. And here's how I know it. Is because whenever I go out to eat and I order something and they bring me the wrong thing, you know what I tell them? I'll take it anyway. It's fine. I'm hungry. <laughs> I know, like I'm real hungry right now. I don't even care what's on it. Give it to me. I'll eat it. Right? Some of you guys get real thirsty. And so you will settle for whatever comes along. All right, you see that connection I made right there? Went from food to, okay. Anyway, we all make bad decisions when we're hungry or thirsty, you know? You know what I'm saying? I'm so hip. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, plan ahead. Because so many people end up settling and because they didn't have a list of non-negotiables, they didn't have things set in stone that they said, I will not marry someone who does not have these things. And so they just go ahead and they settle and it never ends well. All right, number, uh, what are we on? Number five, seek wise counsel. So when you do find someone whom you think, wow, I think I could get serious with them, I think maybe this could be the person whom um, I marry, is you need to find some people around you who sees things that you don't see. People who maybe are a little bit older than you, have been married uh, for a while, who of, of course are, are close to God and are Christ followers, because when you, when you get in a relationship, you don't see the things that other people see. And so you've, you've seen your friends who have dated just complete losers, and you go, what are you doing? They're a loser. How do you not see this? And for some reason, when we get into these relationships, we're, we're blinded to certain things. And so we have to get around people who aren't going to just say, yeah, you do you. Yeah, go ahead. You can love whoever you want to love. No, no, no. They step back and they go, look, here are some things that I'm observing. Here are some things that you may need to be on the lookout for. Here are some issues that are going to need to be worked through. So you have to surround yourself with people whom you trust, who, who know what they're talking about, and, and are on the same worldview plane as you, who are looking at this from a Christian worldview. Okay, number six, and this is the one that I think all the guys have been waiting for, lower your expectations. So once you have done all of these things, all right, so don't start here, don't start with lowering your expectations, because that'll be a disaster. This is the last thing. So once you've covered all those bases, you've, met, you've, you've gotten out of debt, you've dealt with all your stuff, uh, you have, uh, you've seeked wise counsel, you've stayed out of bed, all that kind of good stuff. Once you've done all this, um, then it's time to lower your expectations. And here's what I mean by this, is we live in a culture where we put so much pressure on our relationships. If you watch a romantic movie, you would get the sense that someone's complete joy and meaning in life comes from this romantic relationship. 
And it doesn't matter how great your marriage is. It doesn't matter how awesome your spouse may be. They can never carry that weight. Your relationship can never bear the weight of meaning and joy for someone's life. Because if it does, if, they, if you put all the eggs in that basket, it is going to end up disastrous. And so we have to not find this fulfillment and this joy and this meaning in our relationship, but we have to look at it as something that we're, in which we go, yeah, you know what? It's good. It's great. I love it. I can't imagine my life without this person. However, I know its place in my life. And it's not going to fulfill me. It's not going to bring me complete joy. It's not going to do all the things that, um, that the movies make it out to be. I can only find my joy and, and fulfillment in Christ. And so that's where I'm going to put that weight at. That's where I'm going to put all the eggs at. And I'm also going to understand that this is an incredible gift from God, but it's not going to be the thing that totally fulfills me. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Dr. Gary Rosenberg, and he uh, specializes in marriages. And he says, failed expectations are the first step toward divorce. Is You have expected this from them. And uh, there are for sure things that the expectations like being faithful to one another. If that is a failed expectation, I understand why it's heading towards divorce. But if the failed expectation is you're not making me happy all the time, or you're not bringing joy and fulfillment in my life, then you've put it in, uh, you, you put all your eggs in the wrong basket. So today I, uh, I got home from church, and we fed the kids lunch, and then I wanted to take a nap, all right? This is a pretty standard thing for me on Sundays and any other day that I can. And so <laughs> Amy's like, okay, I'm going to go, and uh, I'm going to get us lunch real quick. I'll get us lunch, and then we need to start packing up because we're going to be doing some work on our house, and so we need to start working on this because we're supposed to start tomorrow. And so I said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, no big deal. She comes home, she brings lunch, I eat lunch, and then I, I go directly back to bed. And she walks back to like, excuse me? <laughs> uh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, babe, I just, need, I just need a little nap. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure, let me go ahead and I'll go work for a little bit and you take a little nap, okay? And I'm like, babe, lower your expectations of me, okay? Because <laughs> like, like, when you start with low expectations, whenever I do something above that, you're pleasantly surprised, right? And if I end up taking a nap all the time, you go, nah, that's what I expected out of him. Anyway, I don't think that's exactly what I meant by that, but there you go. So let me, let me close this out. Is all of us, if, or I guess all of us who are not married yet, we're looking into the future and we're thinking about this person whom we want to spend our life with. And by the way, that is going to be the second most important decision of your life. First is following Christ. Second is who you marry, because that will drastically change the trajectory of your life. And so as we're thinking about this person whom we want to marry and we're kind of up the list and we're dealing with all of our, or we're, we're thinking about dealing with all of our stuff, here's what's at stake is one, where your life will end up will be totally, totally changed by who you marry. But if you are unwilling to deal with your stuff, to get rid of your debt and to stay out of bed and to deal with all this emotional baggage that you might have, you know what's going to happen? You are going to become a hypocrite. Because you're going to want to marry someone who has done all of those things. You're going to expect them to. You're not going to want to have to deal with all of their stuff. But when you expect someone to do something that you're not willing to do, that makes you a hypocrite. And nobody wants to be a hypocrite. See, I think everybody wants to, when they meet their future spouse here, you know, I, uh, I've been driving this piece of junk car for about six years now. And it's because I've been saving up for a down payment for a house. And you're going to go, <laughs> yeah, you are. 
Yeah, okay, I could, all right, that's cool, I like that. Or, 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 or how about this is, you know, I've made my mistakes in the past. I, I haven't lived like I was supposed to, I haven't treated my body, and I haven't, uh, I haven't been, um, uh, I haven't used my sexuality to the way that the scripture says, and, and so I realized that. And I made a commitment to not do that again. That, that you know what, this is it, I'm gonna follow Christ, and so I have decided I'm not going to sleep with anybody until I'm married. And you go, okay, cool, I can deal with that. Or, or when you look at them and you think, you know, I, uh, I, knew that, I knew that I had some stuff in my life. I knew that I had some baggage and I, I've got this family origin stuff and, and I knew growing up that I was acting out in certain ways but I didn't understand and because I've been going to counseling and I've been meeting with people and I'm in a rooted group and I've got this group of friends that have been helping me work out some stuff, I've really got to discover a lot of what's going on internally and so I've got to deal with a lot of the baggage that I have. See, when you hear them say one of those things, you're not gonna go, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I'd like someone with a little bit more daddy issues if we could, you know? Or let's say that you said, I don't want to have sex until I'm married. Do you think that one day you're going to meet someone and they're going to go, you haven't had sex? Okay, you need to go out there for about a year, get some work done, okay? Learn a couple techniques, then we'll date. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. So if we are willing to do the hard stuff now in which we're going to deal with our stuff, we're going to uh, get rid of our, our, our baggage and our finances, um, we are going to set ourselves up for success. And you are going to be, and it's going to, it's going to be hard, but here's the, here's the end result, is if you're willing to do the hard work now, it's going to pay off later. It's called delayed gratification. And there's going to be lots of people around you who are going to have a lot of fun, and it's going to seem like things are going to work out for them. And then uh, as their marriage starts to progress, you're going to notice a big difference between you and them. And so one of my biggest prayers for us, and it's kind of cool getting to see this as uh, I've been around this ministry and around you guys for a long time, is seeing so many people grow up in here, meet their spouses in here, get married, and then begin a life together, and they've done it the right way. That's one of the biggest joys that I get to see. I was just telling somebody yesterday about this. They said, how long you've worked here? I said, oh, I've been a youth pastor for over 10 years here. And, and it's crazy because I see students that grew up as my junior hires and my high schoolers. They're getting married and they're starting families, but they're doing it right. And so that was worth all the heartache, all the years of high school pastoring, which is just close to like torture, I think. And so it's totally worth it because I get to see them uh, become uh, not only Christ followers, but be, begin a great family. And so my prayer is that wherever you are in your journey, that you would take these six things seriously because uh, if you're willing to do the hard stuff now, it's gonna pay off later. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for, uh, for relationships and thank you for specifically um, marriages. And Lord God, whether we're not even thinking about it, we just uh, are trying to enjoy um, our college years, and we're not even, uh, it's not even on our radar. Um, we pray that we would be doing all the right things in order to prepare for that, because we know that marriage is an incredible gift. It's powerful. It's something that, uh, as we will talk about in the coming weeks, that you have created us for, and yet it can also be the thing that totally spins our life out of control. And so, Lord God, we want to take this incredible gift and we want to use it correctly. And so, Lord, I would just pray that we would be willing to do the hard things now so that we can enjoy uh, the fruits of our labor later. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.